Father our God, you are our saving God. You are the, our living waters. Lord, all we need is you. We thank you for your word, the word you have spoken that brings life, that saves. And it is a guide for us in our life, in how we can glorify you in all that we do. Prepare our hearts now, Lord, to listen, to understand, and to be changed by your word, more and more to live for your glory. Amen. We have two uh, readings this morning from uh, Isaiah. Isaiah 49, 1 to 13 is the first one. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel in whom I will display my splendour. But I said, I have laboured in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself, for I am honoured in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the, for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel. To him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers. Kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. This is what the Lord says. In the time of my favour, I will answer you. And in the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people, to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances, to say to the captives, come out, and to those in darkness, be free. They will feed beside the roads and find pasture on every barren hill. They will neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat down on them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. I will turn all my mountains into roads and my highways will be raised up. See, they will come from afar, some from the north, some from the west, some from the region of Aswan. Shout for joy, you heavens. Rejoice, you earth. Burst into song, you mountains. For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. The second reading is chapter 52, verses 7 to 10. 
How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Okay, uh, back to this passage then. Well, it's, it's the season for speeches at the moment, isn't it? Anyone stay up late last night to hear Albo's acceptance speech? Uh, it's the season for kind of uh, speeches from the leaders. Uh, so I thought we'd play a bit of a game. Um, this is Guess the Speaker from the famous speech, okay? Um, don't put these picks up until we've guessed them. So, and you'll get these pretty much straight away, I think. So first one, I have a dream. You know who it is? Yeah. Yeah? Oh, good guess. Not quite. Yes, Eileen? Yeah, that's it. Martin Luther King Jr. There we go. Okay, here we go. Another one. Famous speech. You'll get it straight away. Can't do the accent. Four score and seven years ago. You know, <laughs> you know the one? Who is it? Abraham Lincoln. Yep, the Gettysburg Address. There we go. Okay, here's this, this more recent one. Maybe not sure if you'll get this one. Uh, in, uh, a um, significant speech recently, uh, in recent years. So here I stand, one girl among many. I speak not for myself, but for all girls and boys. I raise up my voice, so that I can, not so that I can shout, but so that those without a voice can be heard. Anyone know whose speech that was? And any guesses? Uh, uh, Malala Yousafzai, an Afghani girl who was shot by the Taliban for the crime of going to school. Remember that? famous speech she gave. Next one, last one. Uh, I can't do this without doing the accent. Uh, we shall fight on the beaches. <laughs> you know this one? Winston Churchill. We shall fight on the landing grounds. Here we go. There he is, old Winston. Okay, all these speeches, they're famous speeches, right? They, what they did is they outlined the program of the person, the leader who was giving this speech. They, they kind of set up their vision for the movement that they were leading. And they set up these great expectations for what they were on about, for what these movements were on about, what they were pursuing. What's this got to do with this passage in Isaiah? Well, we're in this second half of Isaiah. If you're joining us for the first time, uh, what we do as a church is we read through books of the Bible together and we reflect on them and we see how they help us to find, to know Jesus better and to live for him. We're in this second half of Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah is writing, uh, he's giving God's message to this future generation from where he sits, this future generation of God's people who are in exile in Babylon. If you remember this from the previous few weeks, uh, he's, he's moved from a message of primarily of judgment in the first half of his book. Now he's moved on to this message of hope and comfort to this generation in exile. Uh, and and uh, we've seen that the, the key to this hope, we've already seen this along the way, the key to this hope and this comfort that Isaiah is offering is this mysterious figure called the servant, the servant of the Lord. Well, what we get here in chapter 49 is this servant of the Lord, 
speaks at length for the first time. He kind of gives this, it's like his inauguration speech. Uh, and, it, and it gives us this really deep and wonderful insight into what this servant is on about. So all those other famous speeches, right, they were kind of big in their ambitions, right? That's part of what makes them so memorable and famous. But they are nothing compared to this servant and what he says about himself here. What he says here, the the picture that he paints of his mission is just utterly unique. It's kind of mind-blowingly massive, what this servant's on about. So let's dig into it. Now, you see that actually right from the start, right from the very first verses of this speech. Um, uh, We had a longer section read. We're just going to focus in on those first six verses uh, today. I'll mention some of the other parts along the way, but we'll focus in here. You see that. uh, The audience for this speech, you see how massive it is. The audience isn't just one group of people uh, or even uh, even just one whole country. The audience is every person in every country. Verse one, um, this servant speaks and he says, listen to me, you islands, hear this, you distant nations. It's like this powerful summons to the whole world to come and listen to him, to listen up, to pay attention. Uh, Does anyone know what the world record is for the largest TV audience of a live broadcast? I had to look this up. Well, it was the funeral of Princess Diana. Now, apparently, unless um, uh, Guinness Book of World Records is sort of not updated, uh, apparently that's still the largest of a live stream kind of um, a a live audience, live broadcast. Estimated 2.5 billion people watch simultaneously. I mean, that's massive, right, around the world. But this broadcast is way bigger than that. is bigger than that. No one will miss it. The whole world is listening in. The whole world will hear it. And you can already tell something huge is going on here, just by what's being said in this first opening lines. In Isaiah, the only person who says, listen to me, is God in the book of Isaiah. Here's someone who is speaking to the world with an authority and a scope that belong only to God. But he's also, he's also a human person, right? You get that as you keep reading. It's still in verse 1. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. So you, you, we're building this picture of this, this divine human person who has a job from the Lord, even from his mother's womb. And as you keep reading, you see that a key to that job, what he's going to do is going to be his word. Verse 2, he made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. So this, this global servant, this chosen servant, is going to work through his word. Through his word, his mouth is this sharpened sword. It's a word that kind of cuts through, cuts through our defences, it pierces into us, pierces through our pride. It's this sharpened sword, this polished arrow that always hits home in its target. And, I mean, we're only a couple of verses in, right? But already we're kind of tracing the outline of a figure that can only be filled by Jesus Christ. That can only be filled by Jesus 
Um, the one who was named by the Holy Spirit even while he was in his mother's womb, uh, who we read, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Uh, the one who is the word made flesh, whose words do cut deep into us. I mean, we read the Sermon on the Mount together last year and you can't read that without being cut to the heart, you know, being exposed without your, kind of, your foundations being uncovered. But this speech keeps going, it keeps going, uh, and things start to look a little strange, actually, in verse 3, because this servant is actually given, he is given a name, a different name. Uh, let's read, verse 3. He said to me, uh, this is the servant speaking, uh, about God speaking to him, he said to me, you are my servants, Israel in whom I will display my splendor. So what's going on there? Like at first glance, this seems to be, this servant seems to be Israel, the nation of Israel. Um, and, and on one level, that makes sense because Israel was set apart by God to display his splendor. Uh, they were set apart to be a light to the world, to bring God's blessing to the nations. But we've seen all the way through Isaiah, haven't we? Uh, and you read it all the way through the Old Testament narratives that uh, Israel failed at that task. Because of their sin, they turned again and again to the idols of the nations around them, not to the true and living God, who alone can save. That's why they ended up in exile. Uh, and what's more, in verse 5, uh, later on, um, uh, we're, we're going to see that this servant is going to be the one who will actually gather Israel back to God. So uh, it's someone who's going to gather Israel back to God. Why, why is he called Israel here? What's going on? Well, we've seen this before. We've seen it before in chapter 42 when we um, read there. This servant is going to be a person who is going to embody in himself all that Israel was meant to be and do. Uh, he would be the true Israel, the one who would perfectly display God's splendor to the world. But there's something else that's really surprising here. Uh, this servant has this massive job description, right? He's going to be the one who's going to display God's splendor. He's going to be God's word. But he's not going to look like you might expect. He's not going to look like the all-powerful, all-conquering king, like the great ones of this world. He's, and he's going to feel like, you read on and you, you read this, he's going to feel like, at times, everything he's done is just a breath. He'll be frail and fragile. Verse 4, this is the servant speaking, but I said, I have labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing at all. Later on in this chapter, Steve read it. You might have picked it up. Um, the, the servant is called one who was despised and abhorred. And, and we're going to go into this more next week. Next week, we'll see this much more. But here, this kind of aspect of the ser servant, he's not who you expect. He, he's, um, he's in some sense despised, abhorred. Uh, we're going to see, it just kind of gets thrown in here. It's not explained. Hang on till next week. But this exalted figure who is himself the display of, and of the glory and splendor of God, in some way he goes hand in hand with this unimpressive image of fragility and exhaustion here. But did you see what the servant does with this in verse 4? He casts all his hope on God. Verse, the end of verse 4. 
Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hands, and my reward is with my God. It depends entirely on God. So we're building this picture, right, of this servant through his opening speech. And it's huge. The expectations that are set are massive. He's going to be someone who's both, in some sense, divine and human, who is God's sharp word, who is in himself, the display of the majesty of God, and who, despite his own suffering, continues to trust in the Lord. But we're going to move to the last couple of verses, and what they will show us is just how massive this servant's mission is going to be. So verse 5, And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to himself and gather Israel to himself, for I am honoured in the eyes of the Lord, and God has been my strength. He says, the Lord says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. See what's going on here. This servant who would in himself be the perfect Israel, who would fulfill in himself everything that Israel were meant to be, God says his mission is going to explode. It's going to explode to the whole world. Uh, bringing back one nation, restoring the tribes of Jacob. Yep, tick, no problem. What's next? Like that's the kind of, that's what's on view here. God has something massive, way bigger in mind. It's this cosmic global salvation, not just for one nation, but for every nation. And I, I think if we know our Old Testament, that should make sense to us. Israel was always a nation that had the whole world in view. Right from when God called Abraham, his promise was that God's blessing would come to the whole world through Abraham's seed. And here this, here's this servant, here's this servant come to fulfill that promise. Well, we saw this before, right? But all of this, right, it just fits hand in glove with Jesus, with, wonderfully with him. The sharp word, the surprising splendor of God, the saving light of the world. And he did gather Israel to himself. Uh, it's no coincidence that Jesus chose 12 disciples, not 13, not 11, but 12. He's gathering around himself, this renewed, regathered tribes of Israel, a people gathered around the true Israel, the perfect servant of the Lord. He's, he's gathering around himself, God's people. But even that is too small a thing for this servant. His ambitions are so much bigger. They start with Israel. Jesus says he came, first of all, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But what happens after his death and resurrection? He sends his disciples into every nation, calling all people to come and join God's family through him. Friends, Jesus is the light of the world. He is the light of the world, and he is calling the whole world to listen up, to come to him, to come out of darkness and into his wonderful light, to be freed from the slavery of your idols who never satisfy you, and to find salvation and light 
in Jesus and in Jesus alone. And I want to ask this morning, have you done that? Have you come to him? Have you done that? If not, then will you listen today to Jesus? It's the best news you'll ever hear. It really is. Come to him. He won't let you down. It is the best news, and it means joy for the whole world. I wonder if you picked that up as Steve read through. That's what you get at the end of this chapter, end of chapter 49. should be on the screen, 49 verse 12. Uh, they will see and come from afar. Some will come from north, from the west, some from the region of Aswan, from all over. Shout for joy, you heavens. So this joy of what the servant is going to do goes kind of cosmic, global, in includes even the earth. Shout for joy, you heavens. Rejoice, you earth. Burst into song, you mountains. For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. Or again, you see this in that other wonderful passage that Steve read. And I'll, I'll read this out for us. It's worth reading in full from chapter 52, verse 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all nations and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. So, what an opening speech, right? For this servant of the Lord, the first time we hear him actually speak to us. He sets up these massive expectations for himself. And friends, in Jesus, we see those expectations wonderfully and fully met. But there's one more thing that I just want to um, sort of wind things up uh, with and finish up with. Uh, we come to Jesus, right? Uh, to this when we come to him, we come into this renewed people of God gathered in and around him. And what you see in the New Testament is that there's this incredible thing that happens where the servant's mission, the capital S servant's mission, becomes the mission of his servants. <laughs> also, becomes the servant's plural mission, becomes our mission. Uh, that the, the saving light of this great servant of the Lord going to the ends of the earth, it goes to the ends of the earth through his people, through you, through his servants. And there's one really interesting place you see this, and it's in the book of Acts. Uh, Acts is, tells the story of the early church after Jesus had died and risen and ascended to his father. And in chapter 13, you get the story of two of the early church leaders, um, Paul and Barnabas. Uh, and they're speaking to their fellow Israelites in a place called Pisidian Antioch. I'm not sure exactly where that is, but you can look it up. Uh, Paul says to these um, fellow Israelites in verse 38... He says this, he says, Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. 
Uh, and you keep reading, as, so they've, they've shared this wonderful good news. They've been those beautiful feet declaring this gospel. Uh, and on the whole, their message is rejected, as you keep reading. But then they say this, in verse, uh, skip down to verse 46 in Acts chapter 13. Uh, then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles, for this is what the Lord commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles. And he quotes from the servant song in Isaiah 49. This is what the Lord commanded us. I have made you, O servant, a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honoured the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. Do you see what Paul did there? He took this prophecy about this servant fulfilled in Jesus, and he says now that is a command from God for Jesus' followers. Friends, if you come to Jesus... You are swept up into the greatest movement, the biggest mission that there ever has been and there ever will be. You really are, if you come to Jesus. In Christ and through faith in him, you, even you, right? Even you begin to display the splendor of God to the world. You take your own part in this incredible program of global renewal and joy. You can be part of seeing captives freed of those in darkness coming into God's wonderful light. And this passage ought to spur us on to see the hugeness, the, the greatness of what we are a part of in Jesus. It's not something that's always glorious in the world's eyes, according to the world's wisdom. We've already seen that. Uh, even the servant has times when he feels like he's laboring in vain. And we'll see next week again just how, um, how unworldly this, this um, servant is in, in his power, given through weakness. But, but friends, in Christ, our labor is not in vain. Jesus is risen. He's the risen light of the world. And even if we feel discouraged, small, fragile, we have his promise that all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. That's why we want to see more gospel communities planted and grown in, the, in our region here. That's why. That's what drives us. That's why we're running Hope Explored next week. That's why we support organizations like the Church Missionary Society, seeing a world that knows Jesus. Friends, this is so important. Uh, I reckon one, one of the great spiritual dangers for us at the moment is that we, we take our eyes off this, these great realities of what we are swept up into. Uh, and on one level, that's kind of understandable and natural in times of heightened anxiety and uncertainty like we are in. Uh, all of us have this tendency, we, our tendency is to kind of just turn more and more inward, right? We, we, we turn more and more into it, our, our own concerns, our own desires and ambitions, our own worries and hurts become larger and larger in our own hearts and, and God's concerns can become smaller and smaller 
That can happen to us as individuals. It can happen to us as a church family as well. But God is inviting you today in his word. He is calling you to reignite your heart with a big vision for what he's doing in the world and to pray that he will give you the eyes of faith to see his work here and now in and through your church family, uh, in and through you, to see the splendor of what is so often despised in the world's eyes but is actually the miraculous, awesome work of God in bringing people to himself and growing them to maturity in Christ. Because a dark world needs this light. A lost world needs this salvation. Captives need this freedom. A weary world needs this joy. And we have the wonderful privilege of being the beautiful feet, even, yes, beautiful feet, all of us, if we have this message of being the beautiful feet who bring this good news, who proclaim this peace and this salvation, who sing songs of joy because the Lord has comf comforted his people. Let me pray. Our God, it's so easy for our eyes to turn inward on ourselves. Lord, please soften us by your spirit. Please help us to see the wonderful realities that we are told of here. Uh, Lord, in Christ we are graciously, amazingly swept up into something that is so big uh, that can give us meaning and purpose uh, into a work that will never perish or spoil or fade, into something that is not in vain, because Jesus is risen and he's the light of the world. Lord, lift our eyes to see this, I pray, and give us a deep and joyful unity as we pursue this gospel together. In Jesus' name, amen.